So I began a new series of messages last week. We are digging together into John chapter 4 for one month, and uh, then we're going to turn our attention to some other things in February here. But I felt uh, really directed by the Spirit of the Lord to press into this story with you again. It's a familiar story to many of us. It's one that I've taught on uh, over the course of time, uh, you know, on several occasions. But despite how familiar the story is, sometimes, right, the Lord wants to just remind us of something and uh, draw our attention back again to some basic principles that are critically important to how we walk with him and how we serve him. So uh, last week we read the whole story, and it's rather long, uh, John chapter 4 from verse 1 all the way to verse 42. And uh, if you are not familiar with the story or if you weren't here with us last week, I certainly want to encourage you to just, you know, uh, if you have a chance, read the beginning of the story again. But this week I want to focus with you on the end of the story, particularly verses 27 through 42. So I'm going to pick up the reading uh, there and just briefly, by way of summary, if you're not familiar with what comes before, Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. He's hiking through the mountains of Judea, and he's taking the short route, which is through the region of Samaria. And he comes at about noon on a particular day and arrives in a little town called Sychar, where he's waiting at a well, and his disciples have gone into town to get food for lunch, and Jesus is there at the well uh, wanting a drink, thirsty. And he encounters a woman, a Samaritan woman, who comes to the well. Uh, They have a conversation. Jesus reveals some things to her about her own life and about who he is. And she basically changes her life quite radically. She is introduced in that encounter to the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world. And uh, she's so overcome, so filled with joy. Uh, so pumped up about this encounter, this experience, that she literally goes and tells the rest of the village to come and meet Jesus. He stays for a few days, and uh, the rest is history. So let's pick up the reading at verse 27. Jesus has been talking with the woman. They've had a conversation. She's left now to go tell her friends about Jesus, and the disciples have come back from their journey into town to get some lunch, and here's what happens. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. I guess she hadn't quite left just yet, but she's about to. No one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Come on, Jesus, you must be hungry. It's lunchtime. We brought some food back for you. Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, I'm just going to give you permission here a minute uh, to find the humor in this encounter. Right? Sometimes we're all serious when we come to the Word, ready for God to speak to us, and we miss some things that are actually rather funny. I think this is one of those, and I give you permission to find it humorous with me if you'd like. 
Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so then his disciples said to each other, well, huh? Could, did somebody else bring him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And then John wraps up the story with this commentary. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There's a declaration for you. Isn't that a great ending to this story? We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So just quickly here by way of review, last week we talked about the idea of living well. And we talked about the, the fact that Jesus encounters this woman at a well, but then he says really that he is the living well. He is the source of living water. And if she drinks of that water, his life, she can live eternally and abundantly in a whole new way. So what I shared with you in short was really about Jesus' message to the woman, his encounter with the woman, the way that he revealed himself to her and she responded. And in short, what we came to was the conclusion that to live well is to draw life from the true living well, Jesus. So there's kind of a play on words here a little bit about living well, right? There is the well in the ground from which you draw water, and then there's the true living well, Jesus himself, and then there's the concept of living well, which is to, to live the good life, the abundant life, a life full of God's shalom. So this morning, as we look at this story again, I want to approach it from a little different angle, a fresh angle. Rather than zooming in on the particulars of the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, as we did last week, instead, I want to zoom out and look at the broader principles that this interaction exemplified and the teachable moment that it provided for the disciples. In fact, I'd like you to consider with me the reality that that Jesus himself understood and explained to his disciples that this encounter was not to be seen as an isolated incident or an accident. Oh, well, we just kind of bumped into each other and we had a nice conversation and I just happened to change your life. 
You know, I mean, maybe you've heard the old saying, uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, right? That's an accident. This was not an accident. Jesus was intentional about interacting with this woman, and he was intentional about revealing himself to her so that he could change her life. In other words, we might say he had a clear sense of his mission and vision. He knew what he was about. He knew what he was called to do. And he was consistently focused on working toward the accomplishment of the mission that the Father had given him. He was committed to the Father's work. So, well, at one level, this story is an invitation for each one of us to encounter Jesus like the woman did and to have our lives changed in the same way. At another level, this same story is about something much bigger than that, personal interaction or personal encounter with Jesus. It's not just about how Jesus touched and changed one person's life. It's about the domino effect that that, that, that encounter began. It's, it's about Jesus' intentionality in training his disciples to join in the Father's work of touching and changing people's lives. So to live well, then, is not just to know Jesus. To live well is to work with Jesus in helping others learn to know Jesus. There's a calling. There's an invitation to join the Father's work that Jesus wants to offer us through this story. In other words, living well is about more than our own salvation. It's important that you go to the source of living water, that you, that you receive the life that he has to give you. That's of great importance to each one of us. It'll change your life if you've never done that before. But this story is also about how we join the mission of God, which is to change others' lives. And so we have to see this as an invitation from the Lord to walk with him and to join with him in the Father's work. So look at this story again, and particularly at the end of the story, with, with fresh eyes and ears. And I want you to see and hear what Jesus would teach us about joining the Father's work. And here's, here's the first and most basic takeaway. I want you to look with me at verse 34. John uh, 4, verse 34, is such a, a fascinating and insightful word about the heart of Jesus. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, let me just pause here and ask you, uh, this is a responsive moment here. I welcome you to contribute to this message. What's your favorite food? Anyone? Okay, chocolate. I got a chocolate. I got an ice cream. Anybody want to add to that list? B bread? Ah, spoken like a true Italian. Anybody else? Cake? Okay. Anybody like, raise your, raise your hand if pizza's up near the top of the list. Okay, good. I figured, yep. How about steak? Some of you? Yeah, come on. <gasps> yes. 
Well, not for three weeks, but yes. <laughs> anyway, um, we had this fun conversation uh, yesterday. We had a young uh, friend of our kids over for lunch, and we're sitting around the table, and my wife was asking him about his favorite foods, and, uh, oh, well, what's your favorite lunch? Um, and he came up with sub sandwiches. And I thought, yeah, okay. But everybody has their own favorite, right? Everybody has their own favorite food. I don't know what Jesus' favorite food was, literally, like physically. But what I want you to hear in his words is, is really a profound insight into what he loved more than anything else. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What does that tell us about the heart of Jesus? Think about how amazing this statement was in light of the circumstances. Remember what we talked about last week? As we saw last week, Jesus has been hiking through the mountains all morning long just to get to this village at noon. You ever been hiking all morning long through the mountains? Are you hungry when it comes time for lunch? Yes, you are. And upon their arrival, of course, the disciples understand first priority. We've got to get some food, right? So they head into town. They go for food, and Jesus is left at the well. I'm assuming that the disciples may have thought, oh, well, he just needs a little extra rest or whatever. We'll leave him here. We'll go take care of the logistics uh, and let Jesus rest at the well. But our job is to get lunch. So then they return, and upon their return, of course, they do exactly what they think is the natural expected thing to do. They offer Jesus some food that they've just returned with from the village. They urge him to eat something. Master, it's been a long hike this morning. You must be hungry. Time to eat lunch. And yet Jesus politely declines the food with these simple words of explanation we find in verse 34. Now, <clears throat> I'm not sure about this, I can't prove that it's true or not, but I'm guessing that Jesus might have been fasting. We're not told explicitly whether he was or wasn't, but it wasn't uncommon for him to fast. And this was his first journey early on in his ministry into Samaritan territory, his first time talking about the gospel of the kingdom with people that weren't Jewish. There were uh, lots of good reasons why Jesus may well have been fasting. But even if he wasn't fasting, I want you to think about how hungry he would have felt in that moment and yet how clearly he understood what was most important in that moment. Even if he wasn't actually fasting, there can be no doubt that in that moment, Jesus was choosing to prioritize something else over the needs of his body. Okay? And the real key here is that Jesus didn't simply make that choice for his own benefit or according to his own preference. This wasn't just a Jesus thing to do. He could have kept quiet about it. He could have not said anything. But he wanted to turn this into a teachable moment for his disciples. So thus the explanation, right? Jesus, wouldn't you like something to eat? My food is to do the will of my Father in heaven and to finish the work that he's given me. 
I'm not interested in lunch. I'm interested in doing what the Father wants me to do. And you see, Jesus' words of explanation actually suggest to us that he wanted his followers to learn from his example. He wanted them to learn so that they could not just understand him better, but so that they could do likewise. I think he wanted to teach them a a fundamental principle here that's hugely important for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. In short, Jesus was teaching his disciples not to be preoccupied with the needs of the body, but with the work of the Spirit. Because the needs of the body can often become a distraction from the ministry of the Spirit. So he was simply saying that he was more nourished or fed by serving people than he was by eating food. Think about that. That's a remarkable statement. My food, my meat, my nourishment, my meal is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work that he's given me. This is a statement about the value of joining the Father's work versus the value of other things that are important and very common to life, but can become a distraction to us. This is why I love the idea of fasting and fasting together as a body for a period of time, because I think it helps us both individually and corporately to zone to, to, to zero back in on God's calling for us, God's desires for us, the work that he's given us to do. And that's the intention behind this season of prayer and fasting. In fact, the statement that Jesus made really helps us put the needs of our own bodies in proper perspective uh, as we embark on a 21-day season of prayer and fasting, right? Because I think each one of us should be learning from his example. Each one of us, uh, at some point or another, in the course of these next 21 days, should be willing to say with him, My food is to do the will of the Father. My food is to finish the work that God puts before me. I I read uh, earlier this week a fantastic little booklet on fasting uh, written by Derek Prince, who was a fantastic uh, teacher of Scripture. Uh, He was an Englishman and uh, lived and worked for many years in Israel and traveled around the world teaching uh, the Bible to many different people in many different places. And at one point in this book, uh, in the third chapter, he talks about uh, the significance of placing uh, the life of the spirit above and before the life of the body. And basically he talks about the the significance of fasting in terms of... uh, reprioritizing the life of the spirit before the life of the body. In fact, he says that that uh, what's common to every human soul and body, the, the human person, is driven by uh, three basic things. Your mind, which are your, your thoughts, I, I believe or I think. Your, your heart, your feelings, I, 
I feel, and, and your will, I, I want. He talks about those three statements, I think, I feel, and I want, and how they tend to drive our behavior. And then he says, if you want to learn to submit your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires to the will of God, fasting is the way that God has given us to do that. He talks about how Jesus fasted. He talks about how the disciples in the early church fasted. And he encourages and invites those leading with him uh, to follow their example and to try fasting as a spiritual discipline so that you can learn to submit the life of your flesh to the life of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit. Now, let me take you one step further here because maybe you're asking a question as you think about this and as you listen to the story and consider where Jesus is going with the disciples, what he's trying to teach them. Uh, he's talking about doing the will of the Father and doing the work of the Father. Well, what is that? What is the will of the Father? What is the work of the Father? How do we know what they are? Well, there are many ways I could answer that question. Of course, all of Scripture teaches us about the will and work of the Father. And likewise, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can recognize the will and work of the Father. So we could talk about the role that the Word of God plays. We could talk about the role that the Spirit of God plays. But in this context, uh, just look at the story and notice what Jesus is doing and you'll see the heart of the Father reflected. You'll see the work of the Father represented in what Jesus does in this story here. So uh, really what I want you to see is that Jesus taught us, he's teaching us just as he's teaching his first disciples as we read these words, right? Jesus taught us that the will and the work of the Father is essentially to reap a harvest of changed lives. That's the work of the Father. It's to reap a harvest of changed lives on the face of the earth. That's the mission of God, the missio dei. We talked about this at length uh, a year ago when I taught through much of the material that we learned several of us from the perspectives on world missions class. The mission of God is to release and reveal the love and the grace of God to people who need it so that their lives can be changed. That's the heart of the Father. That's the work of the Father. And that's what Jesus was committed to doing when he said, my food is to do the will and to finish the work of the Father. So look with me at verses 35 to 38, and you'll see this reflected. Jesus taught us that the will and work of the Father is to reap a harvest of changed lives. And he uses this language of farming or harvesting a crop to describe what he's inviting his disciples to do with him. John 4, 35 to 38. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest now. That's what Jesus is saying, right? You, you have this nice saying, four months until the harvest. Everybody's looking forward to it, but it's not ripe yet. It's not ready yet. The time has not come yet. And Jesus turns that saying on its head and says, you guys, 
The harvest is ripe now. It's time to reap the harvest. It's not somewhere off in the future. It's ripe now. It's ready. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for what? For eternal life. You see what Jesus is talking about? The kind of crop he's describing? It's the crop of changed lives. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What's Jesus saying? What's he explaining to his disciples? Basically, he's saying, open your eyes. The harvest of lives is ready to reap, and you are given the assignment of reaping the harvest. That's your job. That's what I've picked, that's what I've picked you for. That's what I've chosen you for. That's why you're with me. That's why you're following me. That's what, like, God has been at work in people's lives. God has prepared them to understand who I am and the kind of life I came to offer them. And you guys get to reap the harvest. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Now, let me just pause and ask you a question here. Do you ever see people this way or think of people this way as a crop ready for harvest? Might seem a little odd to do that. Might almost seem inappropriate to do that. It might, might seem strange, might seem uncomfortable to you. But I'm just going to give you permission to try it because Jesus does, right? Jesus looks at people and he sees that they're ready to become a crop for the glory of his name, that they're ready to be reaped or that their lives literally are ready to be changed by him, by the good news of who he is and what he's done. That's how Jesus sees people. Sometimes we don't see people that way. And there's another problem here. Verse 36 indicates that Jesus was all about the work of changing lives for the better. He was about offering people a measure of abundant and eternal life that they had no hope of ever receiving apart from him. And for Jesus, right, this was, there was no greater occasion for gladness. There was no greater occasion for joy. There was no, more, no occasion that's more worthy of celebration than the occasion of a person receiving the life that God was offering them. So the young lady goes away uh, to tell the villagers about her encounter with Jesus, and Jesus is like, yeah, she got it. She, she got it. She understood. She recognized. She, her life is changing even now. He delights in that. That's what he's passionate about. And that, my friends, is the heart of the Father displayed in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the work of the Father exemplified for us. Jesus wanted more than anything else to lead people into a new and deeper experience of living well. This is what we talked about last Sunday. Living abundantly, living eternally, living because Jesus has changed their lives. 
He saw people's lives as needing what he had to offer, and he saw his own life as essentially defined by the mission of offering himself to others. But after all this talk about the harvest with his disciples, uh, I want you to look at the end of the story now and see what happens, right? Jesus is explaining all this about the harvest. He's inviting and encouraging his followers to become workers, co-laborers with him in the field. And then we see the, the end of the story, the result, right? Basically, it's a picture of what he's just described. It's a picture of the harvest being reaped. After all this talk about the harvest with the disciples, look what happens. We see a clear picture in verses 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There it is. There's the harvest right there. A picture of what Jesus has just explained and described to his disciples. People's lives get changed when they have an encounter with Jesus. And that's the work that he was devoted to, but it's also the work that he was devoted to sharing with those who follow him. That's the work to which he called his disciples. Now, So what I'm saying is recognizing Jesus as our Savior changes our lives. But then Jesus invites us into his work, right? And that's the invitation that he's just given to the disciples in the the middle of this story about the woman at the well and the town. The whole town gets changed because of her testimony. He's invited her into the work, and he's invited his disciples into the work with him as well. And uh, this, is, this is the critical piece of the story that I think you can miss, right? You can read John 4 and you can think, oh, well, what a great experience for that beautiful woman, right? She walked away and her life was changed by that encounter with Jesus. So good for her. That's fantastic. But, but you could read it and miss the charge that Jesus is giving to his disciples here. You could miss the point of his whole explanation about the harvest. This isn't just about Jesus. It's about them. It's about his followers. It's about what he wanted them to learn from his example and from his explanation so that they too could join in the Father's work. So Jesus says in verse 38, I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you will reap the benefits of their labor. Essentially, he's saying the ground was prepared, the seed was planted by others, and now you're going to get to see a harvest of changed lives. You're the workers. You're the workforce. You're the ones that God has, has called to go out and reap the harvest that he's prepared. 
And I'm thinking as I read this story, maybe some of you are too, of a parallel passage that's really familiar found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Listen to these words and, and notice the, the overlap or the connection. This is a different occasion and it's a different, uh, you know, it's a little different saying, but it's very similar and overlapping with what we're reading in John chapter 4. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. This is a summary statement by the gospel writer Matthew, about the ministry of Jesus. And he says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and he says the same thing to us. Are you ready for this? The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here's the trouble. Tell me if this isn't true for you. I know sometimes it's been true for me, and I'm trying desperately not to let it be true any longer. Sometimes I find <clears throat> that we think, we think, we feel that the harvest is not plentiful and the workers are. You ever thought that, felt that? Oh, there's plenty of people to do that work. I don't need to help. There's plenty of other people out there that are doing that. I, I don't need to worry about that. I'm too busy for that. i got other things to deal with. It's all good. And, by the way, I mean, the harvest really isn't that plentiful anyway. Like, there's just not much to do, right? So I don't need to participate in that work. I don't need to help with that. But what Jesus says is just the opposite of what we think and feel. This is an example, right, of learning to place the the life and truth of the Spirit above and before the life and truth that of, of our own human will and what we think or feel. We might think that the work is not plentiful and the workers are. But Jesus says just the opposite. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. There's a there's a direct command. There's something we should pray into for the next 21 days, right there. Let's ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And, and how about if we ask actually that some of those workers might be us? How about if we gear ourselves up to participate in the work of the harvest that God has prepared? You see what what Jesus is saying here is, is particularly challenging to us because I think we too often get comfortable with life as usual and we, you know, we're happy about our relationship with Jesus, but we tend to keep him to ourselves. Let's be honest, right? Many of us find it very difficult, for whatever reasons, to talk about Jesus with unbelievers, to share our faith with others, to invite people to church, to... Uh, to lead someone to Christ. I mean, what you know, 
right on down the list. We think, oh, well, the har you know, people aren't really ready for that. The harvest is really not that plentiful. And besides, there's plenty of other people to do the work anyway. But Jesus says, why don't you ask the Lord to send out workers? The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that? Are you ready to believe that? And are you ready to join the Father's work of reaping the harvest that's plentiful? I think it's time for us to start asking God to allow us to join the harvest. In fact, I'm personally feeling very convicted about the fact that we have not seen a lot of people come to Christ over the course of our time together as a local church. I'm not content with that anymore. I, I, I feel very convicted that we need to start asking people more, uh, more consistently and inviting people more consistently to come into relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that or you're not comfortable doing that, just bring them to church and I'll do it. Seriously. I want to I determine and commit to sharing the gospel and inviting people to respond more consistently. I heard a story recently. I, I, this summer, I had a chance to interact with a friend of mine that's a vineyard pastor in Florida. And uh, he's an amazing evangelist, has an incredible gift. And he was telling me about something that happened in his church, and it blew my mind. He said, he said one day um, the Lord prompted him, the Holy Spirit prompted him to fill the baptismal. And he said, I didn't really know why I was supposed to do that because it's not like we had baptism scheduled or anything. And as he prayed about it, thought about it, he felt like the Lord said, well, if you fill the baptismal, then I'll provide the people to get baptized. So he did. He filled the baptismal. He, put, he just put the water. He told his team, put the, you know, get the thing ready. I don't know when we're going to use it, but get it ready because we're going to need it. And sure enough, that simple act of faith and then the response of beginning to ask people if they were ready to receive Christ and be baptized began to change their church in a radical way. And they began to see dozens of people coming to faith regularly. I spoke with another uh, vineyard pastor who uh, is the lead outreach pastor in Mishawaka, Indiana, at our sister church there, uh, where our regional overseer, um, Mark Pope, is the senior pastor. He's not the Pope. He's just Mark Pope is his last name. And uh, anyway, he, uh, they were telling me that last year, in 2017, they baptized over 130 people. I'm like, what? How? Why? How, what do you do? How, how did that happen? And uh, they didn't fill the baptismal in advance. <laughs> they just said, well, we have just determined to consistently invite people to come into relationship with Jesus as often as we can. And we do it almost every Sunday. We do it in almost every other meeting besides Sundays. We just have determined that we're going to commit to that as a priority. And everybody knows it. And everybody invites people so that they can receive those invitations. And last year we saw about a half dozen people a month respond and come to faith. So I'm, I'm hearing these stories, you guys, and I'm thinking, 
okay, I think we're missing something. If I can just share my heart with you here, um, does this excite you? Are you? Would you be jazzed to see people start to make decisions for Christ and have their lives changed through our ministry together, through our life together? Wouldn't that be a good and beautiful thing? we got to get serious about this or it's not going to happen. It's too easy and far too comfortable to just kind of go on Sunday by Sunday with life as usual and not gear ourselves to join in the Father's work. So we need to start asking that the Lord would show us the harvest and send out workers. Who's with me? Anybody? Come on now. All right. Excellent. That's encouraging. So really what I'm saying is that Jesus' mission and vision wasn't just to change people's lives by himself on his own. His mission and vision was to raise up and send out a work crew who would reap the harvest that he had prepared. That's what he wanted his followers to do. So his mission wasn't just to do the Father's work himself, it was to lead others in doing the Father's work with him. Right. So when Jesus says, my food is to do the will and to finish the work of the Father, that statement is not just for his benefit. That statement is not just about him and his life and his priorities. That statement is an invitation to all of us. We are meant to carry on the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason why, friends, that we are called the body of Christ. So let me end, wrap this up here, because time is short. But I want to just segue briefly and uh, just make one last point, and I'll make it quick here, and we'll, we'll come back to it and touch on it some more next Sunday. To follow Jesus is to join the body of Christ in doing the work of changing people's lives. That's why we're here. We're not just here for our own benefit. We're here to join the work. Right? That's why God called the church into existence. It's not just to be a holy huddle where believers come together and have nice, warm, fuzzy relationships with each other. The, the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, is to make Jesus known to the world. And we have to get serious about that if we want to be effective at it, right? So to follow Jesus is to join the body of Christ in doing the work of changing people's lives. And... In that sense, I want to just close by sharing with you a statement, a vision statement that we've been working on uh, with our Pastoral Advisory Council. Um, I've, you know, I, from time to time I've revisited this and reworded it and reworked it. And, and uh, I just, you know, it, it's always in process, right? It's not like set in stone. But I, th I just thought it would be helpful to close this morning uh, with just a few minutes of focused time on our vision as a local church? What are we called to do? What's our preferred future? Where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish? And uh, we have a mission statement, of course. That's about the essence of what we're meant to be and do. And that's deepening relationships upward, inward, and outward. 
But the vision statement is a little different than that. It's connected to that, related to that, but it's really a vision statement is about our preferred future. Where is God taking us? What are we trying to accomplish? And here it is. I want to just put you put the statement before you and invite you to pray into it with me over the next 21 days and recommit to the work, right? That's what we're talking about this morning, joining the Father's work. And my heart and prayer is that this vision that he's called us to would represent his work and accomplish his work and that he would be pleased, that he would be honored, that he would be served, and that people's lives would be changed if we do what we're supposed to do. So here it is. Our vision for ministry at CCV is making Jesus famous in greater Lansing and beyond as a vibrant and growing community of faith that has a relational, life-changing impact in people's lives by the power of God's Spirit at work in our midst. And there are some distinctives there that are important. Just really quickly, let me touch on some distinctives. Do you know Lansing is famous for the three C's? Capital, cars, and campus. When the Lord called us here to begin this church back in 2001, I felt a very clear sense of burden and desire that Lansing should become famous for a fourth C, that the biggest and most important one of all was missing. So that's kind of what's behind that first statement, right? We want to see Jesus become famous in greater Lansing and beyond. It's all about him. It's not about us, right? Then the second phrase talks about the kind of community we want to experience. And there are two key descriptives, two, two key adjectives, vibrant and growing. Vibrant and growing. Vibrant means we're, we want to be full of life, full of spiritual vitality. We want the, the sense of, of the life of Jesus that we've just been reading about in John 4, we want it to be tangible to those who come and visit here with us. That, there's, that people can see and sense that there's something different about us, not just individually, but corporately. There's a sense of the life of the Spirit that fills who we are, especially when we come together in God's presence. But related to that, we want to be growing. And I don't think we should feel any shame about saying that, right? Why do we want to be growing? Because we want to see more people's lives being touched and changed by the good news of who Jesus is. And, and as I said, I feel convicted personally that I've been too soft in that area, that I've been too content, too complacent about the priority of drawing people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's, you know, of course, bigger is not automatically better. So we don't just envision a church that's growing wider and shallower. We want both, right? We want to be wider and deeper. We want to grow in maturity and we want to grow in size at the same time, right? We want to see more people coming to faith in Christ. And if we don't see that, it's time to pray and work a little harder. Then the third statement, uh, we want to be a kind of church that has a relational life-changing impact in people's lives. That connects with our mission, deepening relationships upward, inward, and outward. In other words, everything that God has called us to do, he's called us to do in love for one another, for him, 
and for the world around us. That's what the great commandment is all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationships, right? Your love for God, your love for your brothers and sisters, and your love for the world. That's what Jesus has called us to demonstrate and invite people into. And then finally, uh, part of our identity and our legacy as a vineyard church is to be a church of the Spirit, a church marked and defined by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. And without that, man, we're just going through the motions, honestly. Jesus said, or the, maybe it was one of the disciples actually uh, in the, in the um, epistles, right, that you, you can have a church that uh, <clears throat> that's absent from the power, right? It has the form of godliness but without the power. That's not what we want. That was not a word of encouragement or a word of, um, you know, like a, a positive, affirming word for the church. We want to be the kind of church where the Holy Spirit is welcomed and embraced and where the ministry of the Spirit is pursued and where the fullness of the Spirit is a consistent priority for each one of us and for all of us together. Because it's only by the power of the Spirit that everything else we want to accomplish can be accomplished. If God's power is not at work in our midst, we have no hope of accomplishing what he's put before us to do. So what I want to call you to right now as we close our time together is just a rededication to experiencing and sharing the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, doing the work of the Father. And uh, I, I personally, I'll just tell you, like, I feel re-energized. I feel refocused. I, I had a great experience at the One Thing conference that we attended with our family uh, over New Year's. And the Lord spoke to me in a number of different ways that I'm excited to unpack as time goes by. And uh, I'm ready for God to do something great in our midst. I'm excited for what the future holds, and I hope you are too. Put, put your seatbelts on, because God's about to do something great. Let's pray. Lord, thank you of the work that you had called them to. And I, I pray, Lord, that as I've communicated this story this morning, that your heart has been adequately represented, that your will and your work have been adequately described. And my heart, Lord, is to, is to sign up all over again and say yes. Yes, Lord, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be your humble servant, I want to be your co-laborer, and I want to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom that you've given us. And so I'm just going to pray right now, Lord, with perhaps a bit of boldness, I hope it's not presumption, that you would bring people here who need to come into relationship with you. That they would come hungry, that they would come ready, that they would come recognizing their need for you, their desire for you. And that we would see the harvest that you've prepared and be ready to reap it together. 
I pray even specifically, Lord, over these next 12 months or so, this year of 2018, that we would see a couple dozen people ready to give their lives to you and be baptized and join the workforce. Lord, that would be amazing. That'd be something we've we've not seen in 17 years of our history together. How's it going to happen? Only by your Spirit at work within us. Only if we say yes, Lord. Only if we're ready and willing to work with you to reap the harvest that you've prepared. And I'll just begin right now. If there's someone here today who's listening to this message and thinking, man, I need to get right with God. Now's your moment. This is the day. This is the place. This is the hour. I encourage you and invite you right now to make that decision to walk with Jesus and let him change your life. We would love to welcome you into the family of God. We would love to welcome you into the kingdom of God. We would love to explain to you more about what it means to walk with Jesus and serve Jesus if you'll invite him to give you his life right now. And if you've done that, if you're doing that, just encourage you to come and share that with me after the service this morning. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you with some first steps to begin to walk that out. I'll tell you what I'd like to do just quickly here before we sing a closing song is I'd like to ask for a couple of volunteers who feel some passion rising up in the spirit to pray for our body and to pray for what I've spoken to this morning, to pray into what God would do among us and through us over the coming year, to pray for the harvest that he's prepared. Who would like to come up and and lead us in prayer just briefly for a few moments? Please, Zachary, come on up. Where's that um, handheld? Anybody else? Can I get maybe two or three more? The thing I want to pray about, um, before you ask to pray, I almost had this thought of wanting to interrupt the prayer you were praying. (laughs) Pastor Kevin prayed that God would bring people here. And I had this image in my mind of a farmer sitting in a lawn chair and praying, Lord, put the grain in the silo. Could he do it? Well, sure. But will he? I don't think so. Because in the scripture we were just reading today, he asked for workers. So, you got to pick up that little knife thingy that you cut the grain with. Put your boots on. All right, so that's what I want to pray about. So, God, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to join you in the work. Thank you for the promise that uh, the harvest is plentiful. Thank you for all of the promises that you have given to us that go along with joining you in your work, your promise to 
give us what we need. Um, I just think of the the rest of the story where Jesus sends his disciple out and he specifically tells him, don't take any money, don't take any clothes, don't take any food. Why? Because it'll all be provided for you. So the promise that everything that we need to do this work has been given to us. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you would just help each one of us um, in our in our belief of those promises. Help us to believe them and to act on them. Uh, to overcome fears. Um, to overcome uh, the anxiety or the thoughts of what people with think of us or uh, the fear of being rejected. Um, just help us, Lord, each one of us individually. The people that you put in our path. Help us to be bold in the invitation. Help us to be bold in telling people about who you are and what you've done for us all. And give us wisdom, Lord. Amen. Um, just wanted to, to speak a little bit about um, you know, the passion that, that this church has um, a few months ago was my first time here, and I, I felt very welcomed and, and very loved, you know, by the whole congregation. Uh, all the people uh, showed their their pursuit to to welcome, you know, new believers into the church, and and those who have, you know, gone through the toil of overcoming in the world, of maintaining their relationship with God through whatever it is. We all have our own. Our faults, our bumps and bruises, and, and it's it's those little mistakes that we make throughout our life that help us come to know God deeper and and more. If you read uh, the Old Testament, you'll you'll see how Jacob um, has gone through a lot to to pursue the woman he loves. He he gave up first. He was told he had to serve for seven years uh, under Laban, and and then after that, you know, he was deceived and. Um, you know, was, I, I would say, compelled by love to serve another seven years for the woman that he truly was one with. And when he was given that blessing from God, you know, we saw the transformation that occurred where he was given the name Israel and completely one in the Holy Spirit when that happened. And, um, um, you know, it's just a, a walking in faith, you know, that I've had personally since uh, my junior year at Ohio State when I first accepted Christ. Um, I just encourage us all to recall people who have had those impacts in our life with God, you know, who have been praying for us and, and who have, you know, shown persistence in, 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 in that boldness and faith to invite your brother or sister out to, to church or to, um, you know, to pray for those who you feel are struggling. Um, we pray for humility, God, in our walk with you, um, that the word of God can be active in, in, in how we um, go about our lives. You know, you never know what uh, sort of impact we can have on someone's soul, on someone's salvation. You know, by by uh, abiding in the Son and, and following the right uh, path in the Spirit, we can really impact people and be very attractive for the kingdom of God. Um, in Jesus' name, I pray.
And Lord, I just pray that <coughs> that you would remind us that um, this is something that takes work and that you would give this church, this body, perseverance throughout this year, Lord, that we would continue to be excited, not just today, about um, remembering what we have to share with others and what we have to invite people to, but that you would give us perseverance in that. And um, And we thank you that you have given us this amazing thing, and I pray that you would remind us of that, what we have to share, and that there are so many people, that you would open our eyes up um, to how many people are around us who truly want, desire something more and something that we can share with them, Lord, um, but need to be invited and and told. And so I ask for, um, for strength and willingness to put in the work and also for perseverance to continue to do that work with excitement and um, with willingness even when it isn't easy throughout this year. The word says in Job's twenty-two twenty-eight, it says, what you declare, I will establish. Father, right now I declare the works of the Spirit. I do I declare miracles in the homes of these families. Father, miracles in the lives of those people around them, I declare um, healings. I declare prosperity. Father, I declare, just Father, just your gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom to strengthen them, to go forth, Lord. I declare over this people, Father, just the miraculous, that they would begin to see the good works that, Father, you have declared good works you created them for, that they would begin to see those works. I, I just lose eyes and ears over these people, Father, that they would begin to see and hear what your Spirit is saying to them, to step out. I command and I curse down fear that they would not be afraid, but they would step forward, that they would see new things, Father. You have prepared new things that they have never known, That, but, Father, they're going to see those things. And that these things are going to be the, like a dinner bell to the, to the unsaved. It's going to draw your people in, Lord. It's going to draw them in by the tens, the hundreds, the thousands, Lord. And, Father, it's going to show them a new way of walking with you, Father. It's going to give them empowerment, Father, because you work according to the power that's working in them. And so, Lord, I loose that power in them to rise up, to release on these people in this town, in in areas around, across the world, Lord, as they travel wherever they go, that, Father, they will begin to see and speak and declare powerful things in the lives of those around them. Father, they will be strengthened, they will be encouraged, and they will know that they have all of your glory working in them for your name's sake and for your glory. So in Jesus' name, we pray and declare, Father, strength and wisdom over everyone in this building. Amen.